Well, hello, I am Matt Williamson. This episode is brought to you by Live Casino, and we are going to talk O-line today. Um, so I found this graphic, I think it was from Pro Football Focus, and they put it out right before the championship round. And I'd never seen anybody chart this before, and I found it very interesting. And what it is, is how often NFL offenses left their offensive tackles on islands during the 2022 season. So I assume, I didn't dig in exactly what the definition is, but I'm going to assume that if two human beings hit the defensive end, the edge rusher, TJ Watts, Miles Garrett, those type of dudes, that didn't qualify. If you left them one-on-one from snap to finish by design, like if this guy stunts inside and a guard gets him or whatever, I think that's different. But I'm talking about chip help from a running back, a tight end hitting them on the way out, a design double team. I assume that's how they did this. And it's not an exact science, but I do think it's really interesting. And the reason they put it out, and I mentioned they they put it out before championship weekend, was the four teams that were still left and the Eagles by far, by far, are number one in terms of leaving their offensive tackles on islands more often than anyone in the league by a distant margin. And their tackles are awesome. Lane Johnson's going to the Hall of Fame. If you don't know that, Mulata's a total stud at left tackle too. So they treat them that way. And that's where I'm going with this, is teams tell you what they think of their players by how much they ask of them. So the Eagles adore their offensive tackles, as they should, leave them on islands more than any team in the league. But not too far behind are Cincinnati, who... Since then, probably have rethunk that because against Kansas City, they didn't leave them on islands at all. Um, The Niners are also near the top, as are the Chiefs. You know, so good O-lines are going to leave their tackles on islands more, good tackle pairings, and not coincidentally, seem to win a lot of games in this league. You know, so some of the other top ones that don't exactly back that up are Tampa, but that's a Brady thing. Get it out of your hands now. Seattle, those two rookie tackles, they asked a ton of them. And, you know, that's a very demanding ask. So where I'm going with this is, aren't we talking Steelers, Williamson? Well, yes. I've talked about the Steelers line with you guys a ton. Depth worries me. I think they have a good starting five. But only the Dolphins and the Raiders helped their offensive tackles more than the Steelers. So if you want to see this entire chart, I tweeted it out maybe a week or so ago. Um, if you ask me again, I'm sure I can tweet it again. So Chooks and Moore basically played every snap. We know that probably won't happen again. But they were helped basically more than any other tandem in the league except for Vegas and Miami, which isn't a ringing endorsement of the coaching staff faith in them. And it worked. That's fine. But... What if you didn't have to help them as much? What kind of ramifications does that have for the passing game, the downfield passing? Can you get another body consistently out in a route if you had a star left tackle or, you know, an upgrade, somebody you trusted more? Or these guys can also get better, too. I mean, they're young. Maybe next year they're a little better. You trust them more and more. Who knows? So I found that very interesting is – they helped their tackles an exorbitant amount, 
where some of the best teams in the league, namely the Eagles, did it very least, you know. And so, obviously, it's just a good way of quantifying what good tackles can do for you in the passing game. So, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about some Senior Bowl stuff, O-line related, that, and, you know, and again, it leads more and more to, if possible, that first-round pick, if it's a tackle, it's going to be really hard for me to pass up on. I mean, if there's a, a suitable player available, I think more and more that that pick in the first round is going to be a corner or a tackle. It looks like there's a lot of corners that'll be there. I don't know if any tackles will be that'll be worth it. But I love Senior Bowl week. Um, I take a step back from the NFL and really dig into this stuff. I'm not down there right now. But there's still so much to watch, so much to read. I've talked to a bunch of people down there. Dale's down there. I've been talking to him, of course. So I'll be back in a minute here, and we'll talk about a little bit of Senior Bowl stuff, too, that is O-line related. So I am recording this. Actually, the first practice is kicking off right now, one o'clock on Wednesday. So I don't know what's happened in Wednesday's practices, but by all accounts, Coach Tomlin was really, really focused on the O-line for Tuesday practices. If you recall, last year, he was really, really focused on the quarterbacks and their first round pick was a quarterback. Um, we know these guys smokescreen, and Tomlin did a phenomenal job of smokescreening the interest in Willis and all that stuff, which I don't think was unfounded, but I don't think they said, we knew we're going to take Pickett all along before this, you know, this time next year. They did all their due diligence, but I'm sure offensive line is going to be a huge, you know, priority for this team. Again, score more points. Um, so I wanted to highlight two of the players there, and first of all, I I don't think guard is a need. I've told you guys this a lot. If you get a center, Cole can go to guard. If you get a, a tackle, Moore can go to guard. You know, so I would rather left tackle, center in that order would be the the O line areas to address. So the dude from Minnesota, University of Minnesota, John Michael Schmitz, is starting to be widely considered probably the best center in this draft. And he had a very good first day. He's weighed in at 6033, which if you guys don't know, means 63 and 38, perfect center size, 306. Hands are a little small, arms are a little short, but his wingspan's not bad because that's why you measure arms and wingspan, because some of these dudes, like John Michael Schmidt, have wide bodies. You know, they're, they're shoulder to shoulder. Their chest is wide. So his wingspan is a better number than his arm length. His arm length is just under 33 inches. That doesn't mean much to you. But his wingspan is, a, is just under 79, which is fine for an interior player. If this was a tackle, you'd worry. But that's what he is. He is a rugged, Big Ten, Minnesota, tough guy, wide-bodied, real core strength, heavy hands, bruiser at the interior line. And, and I don't know if he's only a center or if they'll have most of these guys, they ask him to play guard during the course of the senior bowl. 
I don't think he's in the first round consideration, but maybe as early as 32, you would think about him as a stealer, John Michael Schmidt, probably more like the mid first round or mid second round, or if you traded down a little bit from 32 to 38, something in that neighborhood, I don't know exactly where he slots in, but day one was very encouraging for Schmitz. I thought he might struggle as almost all these linemen do in one-on-ones, especially early in the week, because you don't know the guys you're playing against and you have all this space to to deal with. He did just fine. You know, I mean, lateral agility, you're you're going out, you're trying to block a better athlete, again, with all the space in the world, there are two guards next to you to help. And he did really, really well against some premier prospects. So, John Michael Schmitz is a name you need to know. Day two, you know, round two probably, but pass the first test. This next guy we just have to talk about. DeWand Jones, Ohio State right tackle. So some of you may be familiar with this young man, but here's his dimensions. He is 6'8 and an eighth. He is 6081. He's 375 pounds. And to his credit, and agents are smart, by the way, he had his jersey. Not, I don't think it was cut off, but it was tucked up under his shoulder pads, so his stomach was out. He's got a little flub, but <laughs> it, for 375-pounder, he carries it incredibly well. He is not a big, fat, slow guy. And, of course, he showed that – not that he's got a six-pack or anything either, but it's not all flub. He does not have to yeah, – he'll be fine if he loses 40 pounds. No. But here's where it gets crazy. His hands – are just under 11 and a half inches. I mean, that's like unheard of, to to be honest with you. I mean, but his arm length and his wingspan are off the charts. I mean, he is 36 and 5 eighths arms and 89 and a half inch wingspan. That's the largest wingspan recorded in the last 25 years, I think ever, in senior bowl history. This guy, I'm watching him on camera. I mean, in, in NFL Network and all that. He's standing next to guys like John Michael Schmitz and all the other offensive linemen. And my wife, my daughter, that there was nothing about it, could walk by and be like, whoa, who is that guy? I mean, he is massive amongst massive human beings. And most are looking at him right tackle only. He's a right tackle at Ohio State because the left tackle is a star and is going to get drafted very high, probably going to be the left first tackle off the board. I don't know about that. I mean, here's some notes from people that were down there. And first of all, Jones did not allow a sack the entire year this year at Ohio State. And here, here's some notes. He, imp- he, he played with improved patience, balance, and strike timing over last year, and that was clear on Tuesday. Jones also showed solid foot speed and agility in the run drills. They're not timing them and stuff, but you still see them you know, doing some individual stuff. And that was on that showed up in Ohio State as well. He's quick enough, even at his insane height and weight, that he can corner some edge defenders. You know, and that key word there is some. They're like, can he? handle the Von Miller and his prime types? We'll see. You know, that's still the question. But this guy is not Philele, who last year at the Senior Bowl was like, he's on the ground all the time. Big, heavy-footed dude. Ravens end up taking him in the third round. 
There is a little bit of stiffness to Jones, but you get away with some of that more because it takes an extra step to get around him. He was wiping people out in, in his first practice. And I'm sure it was a little bit of shock for those defensive linemen to be like, okay, I thought I could run around this guy. I can't. I need to come up with a better game plan as a pass rusher when I go against him the rest of the week. So we'll see if you know his opponents or his teammates adapt or not. But I've been doing this a long time, and offensive tackles get escalated up the draft board very, very quickly. And this dude is rare. I mean, we talked about free agents the other day. Orlando Brown is expected to be like the the best non-quarterback on the market. Like, I'll take this guy over Orlando Brown, who's going to make $20, 25000000 or something this offseason. Um, the other thing you got to consider with guys like this, too, are is he still the same player in the fourth quarter as he is early? You know, because he will tire easier because he's a lot, you know, he's a bigger bodied guy. But man, I mean, he looked tremendous on Tuesday and kind of stole the show. And I'm certain the Steelers took absolute knowledge and, you know, paid attention to that and are on top of it. And the thing with Jones, too, is he's a little raw. He hasn't played a ton at Ohio State. Um, still working on a lot of techniques, but as mentioned, he's improving them since the regular season. And if he ends up being the pick, I mean, I'm even talking at 17. Like most people looked at him as like a second rounder. I look at him and think, I don't know if this guy gets out of the first round, if the rest of the week goes well for him. And and he shows that he's light enough on his feet. He's never going to be the most nimble tackle in the world at 375, but it's better than I expected. And if you, let's say you draft him at 17 or trade down and take him at 25 or whatever. I mean, right away, he would be your sixth offensive lineman. Put him next to Moore, next to Chooks. That is a formidable front. You know, running behind those guys or six-man protections. I mean, I would play 10 to 15 snaps a game with the extra offensive tackle. I mean, do you want him blocking or Gentry? You know, <laughs> you know I mean, they're basically be asking them the same thing. Until he learns, preferably, the left side. You know, I would probably put him outside shoulder of on more as he learns to kick slide from the left side and all those. I mean, Orlando Brown is going to be the comp. He wants to be a left tackle. He's been a left tackle. That's why he got traded from the Ravens, because Stanley was the left tackle and people looked at Brown like right tackle only. And I don't think he's a great player, but he's going to be one of the highest paid left tackles in the league and this guy's more talented and he's bigger and he's passing all the tests so two names just to mention there and i think it correlates well with that tackle conversation we had to start the pod so over and out we will talk tomorrow You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.